Hey friend, welcome to the Planter Podcast, where we speak about faith, growth, and lifestyle. If you are new to the podcast, hello, hello, welcome to the Planter family. I am so grateful that you have chose to tune into the Planter Podcast. If you have been listening to the Planter Podcast, what up? Appreciate the support. Thank you so much for continuously listening week in and week out. So I have just two announcements that I want to present to you guys. First thing is first, if you have not subscribed to the actual podcast, uh, it's really simple. All you have to do is click the link that I'm going to provide below that says subscribe. And you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, and you will know exactly when, uh, you know, podcasts are coming out so you can subscribe there and then also on the website so that's t-h-e-p-l-a-n-n-t-e-r.com and i will leave all of that below second thing if you have not left a review i'm just not really sure what you're waiting for to be honest that's going to be really simple too i'm going to leave a link right below and all you have to do is click that link that says review so please let me know what you like about the podcast or what you think i should change about it or topics that you would like for me to discuss you can also leave it or leave you can also send me an email um you know just discussing with me um you know your concerns or your thoughts or just whatever like like we can have a conversation even on instagram too i'm always on instagram so i'm really want to hear from you guys and your opinions so those are the end of my announcements i'm gonna just cut this short and get on with the episode On this episode of the podcast, we are talking all things entrepreneurship. We're actually going to focus on marketing and visibility. So if you're an entrepreneur or aspiring entrepreneur, this podcast is for you. I have the amazing guest on my podcast today. Her name is Jennifer Onwumere, and she is the founder of the marketing agency, Ginger Bread Marketing located in Dallas, Texas. Girl, yes. She has over 10 years of experience and she primarily focuses on helping startups build visibility and marketing plans and strategies. I mean, Jennifer is dynamic. She is amazing. She gives such amazing advice today and I know that you all are going to be blessed. I know I was blessed listening. And just to give you a heads up, there was a bit of technical difficulties when listening, but trust me, you're still going to get the message just as good. So yes, enough interruptions. Here is the episode. Hey, Jennifer. Hi, everybody. Hey, Nami. This is Jennifer Onamere from <laughs> Dallas, Texas, Gingerbread Marketing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you for wanting to talk about this topic. No problem. I love talking about marketing because I feel like it's like it's the cornerstone of pretty much everything you do from a business perspective. Marketing and sales, of course, and then there's the product. So yeah, I look I look forward to our conversation today. I think it's gonna be really good. Awesome. So can you please tell us about yourself? What you do? Where you from? I mean, we already said where you from, but what do you do? Okay. I um I I can I'm a brand consultant and what I do is I pretty much build strategies and campaigns for different projects um to create visibility um, so I help with the marketing strategy uh, for just brands I work with a lot of um, startup and uh, small to mid sized businesses and um, my background is in marketing and PR I've 
really started working in marketing and PR on the music side. I used to do uh, PR for uh, some different uh, music conferences. Um, I've done PR for artists in the past. I uh, used to pitch artists. I've gotten placements before in uh, Vibe magazine, Rolling Out magazine, and uh, different publications. And then over the years, I've had uh, the opportunity to work with a lot of different um, lifestyle brands. I've done a lot of experiential marketing projects for um, Samsung, Blackberry, uh, Geico, Red Baron, a bunch of different brands. So uh, I feel fortunate because I feel like I've had a lot of different experiences in different facets and areas of marketing and PR. So um, at this point in time, I really focus a lot on um, consulting and helping startups really define their marketing strategy and uh, really just help them put together a plan that's going to help them win. So that's kind of my focus right now. My company's called Gingerbread Marketing. Uh, we're based in Dallas, Texas, and that's pretty much what we do. Oh, that's amazing. And I was looking into your company, and yeah, I was looking at your stuff. I was like, dang, you've done absolutely anything and everything with so many different companies, so many big names. So thank you. you know what's up? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I really like, uh, I don't know, I've always been really passionate about uh, startup businesses or just even, you know, I like brands, I like startups, I like ideas, I like creativity. And I always love, I like reading, like I love one of my favorite, um, I guess online platforms for information is Business Insider. I really like reading Business Insider and reading like the stories of like, you know, like homeless, dang near homeless college students starts some kind of brand or app and, be, and makes $70,000 a month. And I think what I really like about startups is the fact that um, you have a lot of, uh, you have no cap on your potential, what you can do financially, who you can reach, different things like that. So um, I think that's something I've always been really passionate about. And so in my business, I've always focused on startups because I love crafting strategy and really helping to develop a brand. Um, just the same way that I think me and you were talking about uh, Apple a little earlier and how people are so loyal to a brand. It's, it's because somebody sat back and created the strategy and the, you know, the ideology, the the whole um, mantra of what that brand stands for, and it's just it just it just pretty much goes to show that if you have a dream or if you have a concept or an idea with a good strategy, you can build something that becomes global and that becomes a standard in any single industry. So, working with startups is a lot of fun. Okay. So when it comes to startups, uh, what are some common mistakes that you see that they do that may hinder their marketing and visibility efforts? Okay. Um, I think some common, uh, I guess, missteps, I would say, that I, that I see a lot of startup businesses do is they focus too, so much on the strategy, but they don't focus on how they're going to actually get their product or idea out there. And I always like to liken it to that that proverb, um, if, or that, I guess it's like a rhetorical question, if, the, if a tree falls in the middle of the forest 
and nobody's around to hear it doesn't make a sound. And I think that's, that's really true for a lot of startups today. If you have a business, like for example, there was a couple of years ago, I was, uh, a company reached out to me about helping them and they were a restaurant and they had, they bought an old property in a, in a good part of town um, that was like kind of like a nightlife district. And they had spent $75,000 on renovations and really transforming that restaurant into uh, the theme that they wanted for the restaurant, but they had no marketing strategy and they had no marketing budget. So long story short, they had this beautiful building that nobody knew about and no plan of how they were gonna get that uh, information out to the general public. So in hindsight, I think they, they discovered that it would have been just as important to maybe cut back and maybe at least put $55,000 towards renovation, at least 20,000 towards marketing, because it doesn't matter how awesome the building looks if nobody's there to experience it. So I think a common mistake that a lot of startups make is uh, focusing so much on their product or their service, but not really focusing on how they're gonna get the information and create visibility for that product. product. So I would say that's probably a common mistake that a lot of people make. What are some ways that, uh, I guess, startups can create more visibility? Do you think like social media would be, I guess, the main? Yeah. Yeah, social media would be the better option. Social media is definitely important. I really don't think like in 2017, you're gonna run into too many people who are gonna say not to do social media. And, and, and social media has proven to be like a, a very cost-effective way of getting a message out there. It's, it's a free to, to at least cost-effective way of getting out there. Versus like, if you look back about 20 years ago, how were people getting information out? They were spending tons of, they were doing tons of TV and radio ads then, um, just trying to convert clients and competing with other people on the radio. But now, um, social media has created an opportunity for brands to speak directly with their target audience and to build campaigns and, and, and create the same level of buzz that they used to get from television commercials and radio. So I think all of those things are important, but I also think that one thing that I would add to that is, I think that it's very, very important in 2017. I still think that all of these platforms are great. Even radio is great, television is great, social media is great, but nothing is ever, 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 ever gonna replace direct interaction, like word of mouth, being able to have a conversation with people. So I, I strongly believe in a mix of online and offline marketing efforts. A lot of big brands still do it. Um, you'll see companies like, um, I, let me think, like Skittles or Samsung or, or it's just so many different brands, State Farm, you see so many companies that still um, vend at events, they're still visible because they understand that that direct interaction with the customer is just as important as those online efforts. And those offline efforts reinforce the online efforts. So they go hand in hand. So I wouldn't say, I think that people should use social media because it's very important and it gives you an opportunity to touch a lot of different people that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise had an avenue to touch. But I think at the same time, we can't get too, too dependent on social media as well. We need to do a good mix of social media marketing, um, 
and still direct marketing, grassroots marketing. We still need to be doing things to be visible with our core audience. I think that that's just as important. Would direct marketing be like uh, hosting an event in your, maybe let's say for that restaurant, maybe an event in their restaurant, or is it more like, I don't know, I know people don't go door to door, but I don't know, something similar as that, that you're kind of interacting with people one by one? Like what kind of yeah, ways? Yeah. Like even with you guys, being a, with even with you guys being like a, like a podcast, I feel like you still have an opportunity to direct, correct to connect directly with people. Like, of course, like your podcast is about people who are doing amazing things and also still serving the Lord. So I think there's an opportunity to connect or or do an event with uh, you know like maybe a millennial youth group or. Or, or you know millennial young adult group and and somehow have your brand engaged directly with them whether that's doing a live podcast at one of their events or something but i i definitely feel like when you see it online it's it's cool and it's nice and you can listen to it and be like oh this is great but there's another thing when you connect directly with the brand and it feels it starts to feel more personal if you notice that's why a lot of artists when they when they drop albums they also tour. They don't drop the album and you just listen to it online and stream it on your different streaming platforms. They go out and they connect directly with the fans too. Everything, every because everybody understands the importance of connecting directly. If you notice, like even actors, when they drop a movie, they do David Letterman, they do Conan O'Brien, they do everybody because they understand the importance of them being visible across different platforms to really kind of push that message and to achieve the campaign results. So. It's just, it's, it's necessary. And that's not to downplay social media because social media is amazing. Like social media is, is, it's just like, it's, I don't even know. I'm, I'm really trying to find like a word, but like a lot of people that you know and that you're connected to now are people that you would have never known. Maybe they're in other cities, you know? For example, you're in Florida, I'm in Texas, but you know, through our mutual contacts and and you know, social media, we're able to still be have a, a platform to engage with each other. So social media is definitely something that is amazing and it's created so many opportunities. A lot of people have become celebrities and public uh, public figures through social media. So social media is powerful. I think the main point I wanted to hone in on was just like that direct contact and that direct engagement is still just as important as the social media element, definitely. So. And now I definitely see that. I think, I know for myself, I'm really trying to get my social media out there, but it's just like, that I'm, I'm better more in person, I guess, cause I can have, you can, you can hear my tone of voice, you know, you can understand me when you're in person, I guess a little bit more than on social media. So you definitely gave some, Really good advice, and I'm definitely gonna take that live podcast. I never, I never thought about that. So awesome. things like that. So definitely. Awesome. So when it still comes to moving with startups, uh, what strategies can they use to create an effective message that kind of gets the point across about what they're doing? You know, because I think some people have good stuff, but the way they put it out, it's not as clear as it could be. So how? Would a startup create like a an effective message? Okay, um, I think the most 
because I think, you know, of course, every business is different. And so, you know, when, you talk, when you're thinking about strategy, you can't really um, take like an apples orange approach because if you're selling apples to everybody, then there's always going to be a set price. If you're selling oranges to people, then you're setting a set price. But with strategies, your strategy different can, you know, it varies based on industry, target audience, different things like that. So the most concise thing that I could say that would, would really make sense across industries and, and, you know, budgets and everything is really understanding who your customer is and understanding what your customer wants, really understanding the demographics and the psychographics of your customer. If you don't understand who your customer is and you don't understand what they're looking for, then you can't really tailor, you can't really, you can't really put together an effective messaging, marketing strategy or anything. So something that startups should focus on is really honing in on who their customer is, not who they think their customer is, but who their customer really is. Because sometimes people have, I, and I can't think of any like real live examples right now, but there's times where brands have actually created a product for a particular audience, but another audience, uh, you know, gravitated towards it more. Um, so, and it's not to say that you can't have a, a, a diverse audience. For example, let's say that you, I know that we're kind of like in a, a natural era right now, but what's this for the sake of uh, example, let's say you started a, a, a company where you create a relaxer cream for, uh, re, you know, relaxing hair. Um, you, you have to determine who's your target audience. If you're targeting men, okay, there may be a lot of men that perm their hair, but maybe, well, who's your largest customer segment that's purchasing? I mean, that's, that would buy that project product. Maybe after doing some research, you would discover that it's women. And then from there, maybe it's not women in general. What type of women are buying it? And then dig a little deeper. The women that are buying it, what is their life? Uh, you know, what what kind of life do they live? Are they college students? Um, what kind of what is their incomes? Uh, what are some things that they care about? Are they are they conscious of ingredients or what's in the product? Do they even care? Um, is price point important? Uh, who are your competitors? Different things like that. You have to have a, a good knowledge of those things because when you it's just like anything else. Like if I know that you like makeup it's not really just enough for me to know that you like makeup because there's so many different kinds of makeup there's wet and wild makeup there's mac makeup so if i just group you as oh you like makeup and i buy you wet and wild well maybe you don't like wet and wild so it would behoove me to go and do additional research and find out oh you like mac and not even this particular mac you like this special edition the more you know then i know when i give you that gift it's going to be well received and we've achieved our goal and that's the same thing when you're doing sales. You have to understand who your customer is. You have to understand what your customer wants. Because then it comes to a point of you really being able to position your product in a way in a way where your messaging will connect with your target audience and ultimately and hopefully convert them in, into a sale, a customer that's purchasing your product. Now, how do you... I'm trying to find the right word to or the phrase because I've heard this like, okay, you have to know your audience. You have to know your audience. 
but how do you how do you actually know the audience is it as a persona that you've kind of made up yourself like with the income how would you know like you know this um, my audience has this income and uh, mm-hmm. they like their college students and this that or another like how do you do the research in order to create that or have that research so you can sell your product effectively i mean it really depends on on your company and your budget some companies hire research companies to go out and get this information sometimes they collect the information in the field um, they have people who are called ethnographers who can go out and collect the data. They have uh, research teams that can analyze the data. If you're a startup and you don't have that kind of money, it could be as simple as putting together uh, focus groups and just, you know, having really open-ended questions where you're, you know, trying to really research and figure out your, who your cust- potential customer is, what they want, and even maybe even depending... De- determining through that research that the people that you're focused on are not really so much interested in your product. Um, so, I mean, you can do it through focus groups, you can do it through online research, you can do it through really just looking at competitors. Um, in most industries, unless there's not too many people who I feel that are coming out with products that don't have anything that's comparable. Like if you're opening a, a cupcake uh, or a bakery, there's a million bakeries all over the country and all over the world. Study other bakeries, look at the people who are, go to search.twitter.com, look at the kind of people who are talking about cupcakes. Do you see a lot of women talking about cupcakes? Do you see a lot of mothers? Do you see a lot of teenagers? Who's that? You have to kind of do your own individual research as well and kind of uh, try to figure out who your audience is sometimes just by researching what other similar industries, um, who they're targeting. And if you start, and if you're doing your research and you're doing it diligently, over time, you're going to find a lot of similarities across um, across uh, you know some of the different organizations that you're researching. So if you're, for example, opening up a bakery and you're studying a bakery, um, other bakeries locally in your area, and then you can even take it out regionally and nationally and nationally across. If you're when you're doing that research, you're eventually going to find some kind of similarity across the board that is true of most cupcake companies, even if it's not true of all cupcake companies. So you start to look at that information and from there you start to craft your strategy or you start to put together groups, focus groups based on who you think it might be based on your research and then listening to what they say and not really feeding them answers. But that's why I said off answering open, asking open-ended questions, not saying, do you like cupcakes? Yes or no? Because most people may say yes, but that's not going to give you something. You want to ask a strong question like, of these three flavors, which one do you prefer and why? Well, I prefer vanilla and this is why. And what you're trying to do is across your research, you're looking for everybody to say, that, like for the vanilla, for example, it's easier on my taste buds. And you might see 10 people say that and then you start to realize, okay, people don't like a harsh taste and that's why this vanilla is winning. So those things help you even in your strategy. When you're writing your copy, for your ads later on, you're like not too harsh on your taste, but sweet on your tongue or something like that. I don't know. I, that's just random. But I was just saying like you do that research and you understand. So even it helps with everything from what products you need to stock more than others. Because maybe you were thinking about doing 70% chocolate and 30% vanilla. Well, your research is showing you that's not true because everybody's saying they like vanilla and nobody's seeing what other people are saying. Everybody's filling out their form individually, but this is consensus. So whether you talk to 
an older man, a younger man, a small child, a teenager, you're seeing that vanilla is dominating. Or your research may show you that vanilla is dominating with men, but chocolate is dominating with women. So that's what that's the benefit of your research. And then when you do your ad, obviously, if chocolate is dominating with women, then you're probably going to feature a woman in your ad. So that's how all these things kind of tie together. You have to really understand who your audience is so you can even know what kind of product you need to offer, what some of the features need to be of your product. Maybe in your research, you even hear, you even see that uh, people are looking for more gluten-free options. So you may use that as part of your differentiation strategy and say, okay, we noticed that a lot of our competitors are selling cupcakes, but a lot of them are not doing gluten-free. From our research, we asked an open-ended question, if there was anything you could change about this cupcake, what would you change? And everybody's saying, well, if I could change something about it, I wish that there were more gluten-free options. And you're hearing that when you're doing your research in Dallas or Houston or Miami. Overall, you keep seeing people mention gluten-free. So what you're doing is you're going back online and you're researching competition to see if there's anybody that's doing gluten-free and how that's working for them and trying to get in and see what, you, what kind of information you can get off that. And you're also thinking in your strategy, okay, I need to start doing gluten-free cupcakes because across my research, I'm seeing that there's a demand for gluten-free cupcakes. You know, everybody always talks about that, oh, know your audience, but I literally did not understand that. You explained that so well. Thank you. Please. That was so good. <laughs> and I wondered, um, when it comes to like, you know, let's say you couldn't do a focus group, could you also do an online survey as well? Definitely. Like, and there's so many things like that. There's, um, there's SurveyMonkey, Google Forms, and it could be as simple as just creating a form. That's another thing. Like, if you have a, a social media platform, that's another way that you can even do your research through your social media platform. Maybe, for example, we still run with the cupcake company. Um, scenario. You have your Instagram page for your cupcakes company. You could say, hey guys, we're doing a survey in order to make sure that we're, you know, getting you guys the best quality, tastiest cupcakes in the world. Uh, we, would, we want our customers to take this survey and 10 lucky or one lucky customer, however you choose to format it, will we'll win, um, you know, a dozen cupcakes. Um, so now you've created an incentive to kind of motivate your, you know, your social media followers to, um, you know, to to hopefully participate in the survey. And of course, if they're your followers and they have some interest in your brand, so that the cupcakes should be a good enough incentive for for some of them. So now you've got your customers on there giving you honest feedback and an honest and anonymous feedback, so they don't feel like they have to say what you want them to say or anything like that really you know in a language that encourages them to just be transparent about what they really really want so yeah you could definitely do that on on social media you can do it through live focus groups uh, you know if you have a mailing list or a newsletter you can send it out through your newsletter um and you could um you could solicit the opinions of your current customers if you have a brick and mortar business maybe you could uh, put like a, a survey box there and do the entry live same scenario but in the store hey put your thoughts in here for a chance to win you know a dozen uh, what do you call it cupcakes so there's like there's so many ways to do it it's not limited at all to like one way the overall goal is just is the same though it's just to really gain a better understanding of your customers you know um, I don't know if this is like 
100%. But you know, like when you have a, a shopper's preferred card, I feel like that helps retail stores a lot because um, they give you discounts on the things you buy, but in my head, I feel like they track what you buy. And if I noticed that in January of 2016, like we sold a thousand apples in the store, you know, and in January of 2017, we sold 1,500. If I compare between those two years, then the sales of apples are going up. So maybe for 2018, I'm going to buy 2,000 apples to prepare for this increase in apple sales. But if the opposite's going on, and I'm noticing that every year it seems like our apples are decreasing, you know, then that's also going to help me to not spend like that, you know, not to spend and waste that money. So sometimes I, I, I personally feel, and I, I don't have like 100% proof on this, but I feel like a lot of these preferred programs that these restaurants and these people do is a way of tracking what people like and what they don't like. Okay. I mean, it makes sense, mm -hmm. especially after what you just explained. It, I don't know. It makes sense. It's easy data. You don't yeah. have to actually go out in the field and you know get yeah. the numbers and ask people. They can just see it through the computer. Exactly. And all I have to give you fifty cents off a box of crackers. So I would have had to pay for that research anyway. So I mean, you have to pay for it on one end or another. But at the end of the day, if I'm able to get that research. And I'm able to save money overall. Because if I were to think about it, if you're a grocery store and you're just ordering and you don't have any way of tracking, there's a way of tracking. Like, you know, when they when when products come into the store, they they're, it's being tracked how many are coming in and how many are going out. And it's probably being tracked over time. That way you, you save money because you're able to prepare for what's in demand and you're able to decrease what's not in demand. Remember, the whole goal is to keep your overhead low and your profits high. So... You know, that's research, it's tracking, just making sure that you get what, you know, that everything that you're spending and everything that you're getting is, is profitable for your business. Look, I'm sure you had a lot of people's light bulbs just shine real bright. They were like, oh, that's how it's supposed to be done? Mm -hmm. oh, that, that was really good information. Thank you. So I think this is my favorite question because this is one thing I always speak to my friends about and I, we don't know the answer. I don't know the answer, but how can Christian brands market themselves to broader audiences while staying true to their identity and then developing a sense of creativity? I realize a lot of Christian, I think, uh, communities or outlets, especially on social media, I feel like we all look the same, sound the same, put the same verses, the same, just the same stuff. You get what I'm saying? So yeah. I always wonder, like, how can, like, us as brands, you know, market ourselves to people other than Christians, if that as well, but have a sense of creativity that matches our own, like, each of us have our own, you know, way of doing things. I feel like, basically what you said, I feel like I feel like people are not segmented or like set apart because they're Christians. I feel like look at it as a brand as you would look at it for any brand. When people patronize a brand, they're there because the content or the service or the product is what they're looking for. So I feel like the approach that a Christian, uh, a owner of a Christian, a, a Christian who owns a brand or the owner of a Christian brand should approach the situation in the same way you would any brand. 
I don't think the fact that Christians on it would mean that you would take a different approach. Because at the end of the day, it still goes back to the same thing. You set your goals for what you're trying to do. If you're trying to encourage Christians to, you know, if you're trying to show Christians that, hey, you could have a good life, you could have a fun life, you can have a great life, and you can still serve God, then you create content or you create strategies or events that emphasize that. If you're a, I don't know, a, uh, I don't know, I don't know, like a sock, Christian sock brand, it's, a, it's, a, it's socks that have Bible verses on it. I just made that up. I don't know, but you could, maybe you could do like a bowling night or something or something, you know, where you like show off your favorite socks, you know, just you would devise events the same way that you would if it were, I guess, like a secular event or anything like that. You still, you still would craft your strategy to who your audience is because there's a lot of Christian brands and I can't really think of a specific URL, but I know I've run into some in the past. Or there's a lot of, even if it's not, um, Christian, there's a lot of positive brands that have a huge following. Uh, one that I really, really like is um, Humans of uh, Humans of New York. Have you ever heard of them? Of course, on, I've heard of them. Yeah, on Instagram, I feel like what they're doing is super, 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 super positive. And it's what it is is you got all these people on the streets of New York, and everybody's walking around. Nobody's talking to everybody. But what that platform is showcasing is that. Whether you see somebody on the street and you don't know who they are, everybody has a story and everybody has like maybe a very interesting story and everybody has something that they're overcoming or currently trying to overcome. So what it is, is it humanizes everybody, humans of New York. And it's positive and it's got, uh, I know it's got like millions of followers now. I don't know the specific number that they have, but I know they have at least a million, if not more. And that's something that's positive, but they were able to creatively Come, come up with a concept that was just that was just original, just going up to people, taking their picture, and then telling their story. And sometimes people see their see the person, and they would have never thought the story matched the person. And that's the the part that appeals. And then I talked to you uh, today about even Megafest that's going on in Dallas. Megafest is a big festival of Christians from all over the world that are coming to not only worship God, but there's music, there's comedy shows, there's different things like that. So. I think that the fact that it's Christian does not limit it in any way from a marketing standpoint. It's the same thing. If you have, if you know who your audience is, you're trying to create a platform for Christians to not only um, celebrate God, but to be able to see that they can have fun and, and that, that being a Christian doesn't limit them um, from being able to have just as good as life as a life of anybody else. So. It just goes back to everything else. You have to think if you're a Christian business owner or whatever, what your ultimate goal is. Look at Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A says we're closed on Sunday and we're not open on Sunday and we're never going to be open on Sunday. And it hasn't hurt their business. I've never gone to a Chick-fil-A where the line wasn't wrapped around the corner. I always say Chick-fil-A be more wrapped around than the club. So Christian brands are not limited in any way by not taking a different marketing route as than another brand. It's just you have to understand who your audience is and you have to craft a strategy that is appealing to them. So people are not limited by being Christian brands. Maybe the, even though you're a Christian brand, or maybe somebody's a Christian brand, maybe the content that they're putting is not appealing so they're not getting results. So that's when it goes back to that same stuff that we're talking about. You have to get back out, you have to research, you have to figure out 
you know, what people want. You got to look at other people who are successfully doing it right. Don't imitate, be inspired. Don't steal other people's ideas, but just sit back and really look at brands that are successful and, and look at what their it factor is and then determine how, what is my it factor going to be and will my audience connect with this? And I think that's what makes brands win. I don't care what it is. It can be anything because you have communities of all kinds of businesses. You have uh, companies that make clothes with uh, 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 products that are environmentally friendly. You have people who are vegan who are showing people how to cook some like amazing meals without meat and everything. So nobody is limited by their focus. It's just about having a good strategy and good content that people can connect with. And definitely well said. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. I think for me, I've seen like a lot on social media and a lot of the same platforms, not even necessarily like clothes or anything, which I did like the idea of the Christian socks. I thought that was funny. But, you know, just, you know, all these encouraging, I guess, platforms, especially those about relationships and all this and all that. I just feel like it looks all the same. And I don't know if I'm wrong for thinking that or I'm just, you know, how could you? But it's just like, wow, we really just all do the same thing, share the same memes. You know, people have followers, but it's just like it's all the same stuff, all the same names. You find purpose in every other name or sister this or you find different or the same names in just everything and I'm just like wow there's it's almost like there's lacking originality when it comes to Christians who are trying to you know change change the atmosphere change certain things about the environment you know so that's why I wanted to ask that question and I really liked what you said in regards to just treat it as any other brand yeah, and I feel like whatever you don't like that you feel like it's oversaturation. I'll say two things. Like, I think maybe it just it's all about perspective too. Cause you know, like maybe from your perspective, because you're actually in that industry, maybe you know it's so oversaturated because you're in that industry, so you're pretty much exposed to it all the time. But a lot of the platforms that are out, maybe some of the people, some of the stuff that you're seeing seven or eight times, maybe they're touching one person who's only seeing it once. So that's one way to look at it too. Like it may be like oversaturation. Like think even on the gossip blogs or pop culture, right? If there's a big story that comes out tomorrow, like blah, blah, blah is leaving blah, blah, blah or something like that. And pretty much every gossip blog is going to cover that because that's the late breaking story. And it's not really so much as being redundant or anything like that. It's like that's hot news and that's for what they do for the industry they serve, that's what their audience is looking for. So they can't look at a, the biggest story of the year and say, I'm not gonna cover that because 50 million other platforms did, because they have to get that to continue to grow their audience and maintain their audience. So the only thing I can say is what I would do if it was me, I would look at all these platforms that are, you know, what you said, posting the same memes or doing all these different things. And I would think about what's an alternative to that or what's something fresh that I could do like, you know, these people, obviously, I, I wanted to use the, I guess, the humans of NY um, example again. I feel like what they did, I, there's, I'm sure there's probably other sites that are doing it now. But for me, I feel like they were the innovators. I, I could be wrong, but I was, that's my first time being exposed to somebody using Instagram in that capacity. And that's why you have uh, innovators. You know, not everybody's meant to innovate. Sometimes people are meant to be a, a, a resource just to 
just to send um, information out. But I was at a conference like two years ago, and somebody said that everybody's so focused on being an innovator, innovator, innovator. But sometimes your role is just to create that, create a platform or something, just to, just I mean, not not innovate, but just you know, be able to be like a method to get something to people or what they need. But it's, it doesn't. Everybody doesn't have to create. Like everybody's not going to be a Steve Jobs. Everybody's not going to create. You know all this Apple products and revolutionize. Everybody's not going to be a Bill Gates. Everybody's not, everybody's not going to be an innovator, but people can still have a role. People can still create things that are meaningful. And sometimes there's some redundancy, but that's just life. Just like if you go and eat a burger here, there's 50 million burger places you're going to run into. And a lot of the burger places do things the same. They put lettuce and cheese on the burger. They wrap it up. They put it in a brown bag. But people have found their unique factor within that. Like, for example, Burger King sells burgers just like McDonald's does. But their differentiation thing is, our factor is, they grill their burgers. Um, and you can have it your way, right? So, you know, I think that I personally, I wouldn't focus on what everybody else is doing. I would look at, if you, sometimes that's how innovation happens too. Like when you start to see something, Maybe that's just for you, and maybe you're going to be the person that innovates because you might look at that and say, okay, I see everybody's doing that. So from doing that, you see that, and then the next thing is, what's the solution? Like, how can we, you know, what's the fix for that? So maybe through seeing the, like, okay, a lot of these platforms are redundant, this is how I plan on shaking up or what do they call it in startups? What is it called? Like, I can't even think of it. It's a word. I can't even think of it right now, but it's basically something where you just can basically turn an industry on its head. Like what social media did. Um, social media has, has made, has changed so many different things. The internet has changed so many things. I remember like I was telling somebody the other day, like we used to watch shows like TRL and all these BET programs. I said, no way. Everybody watches videos on YouTube now or other platforms, you know? So there's always something that's going to happen that's going to shake up the, the standard of how we view things, how we watch things, how we receive information. So if you start to see a lot of redundancy, then that's good because that'll challenge you to kind of think about what is a fix for that or what is something that would be a good alternative to the status quo that would, that would be more beneficial or that would positively impact, you know, the industry. So it's cool that everybody's doing what they're doing because that's just what it is. But I think like just look at it as an opportunity to innovate and maybe an opportunity to just at least differentiate. Like, hey, we sell burgers too, but our burgers are grilled. Right. And I just want to make this clear for everybody listening. I'm not knocking anybody for what they do. You know what I'm saying? Like, obviously, you are doing that platform. I'm sure that you were led to do so. But I'm not saying that, you know, you shouldn't do anything or do what you're doing, you know, it's just something that I was noticing, and I was just like, I don't understand how it's the same thing over and over again, because I'm new to this, I guess, um, what do you call it, realm, um, you know, I'm just new to it, so it's just like, oh, wow, I see this, I see that, but I definitely took in what you said, and it's true, how to be innovative, how to be, I guess, different in what I'm doing, even though other people may be doing the same thing or a similar thing so 
But yeah, I just wanted to hear somebody else's opinion. And I know, I mean, this is a real podcast. I'm not going to, you know, say things to just sound polite. I mean, it's my opinion, you know, like it's my thoughts too. And I want to hear what other people have to contribute. Yeah, I think that's like one of the benefits of podcasts though that, I mean, it's supposed to be more like a kind of like a candid, real conversation. It's not supposed to be like, hey guys, everything's great. Like if you have an opinion on something, you might have a listener that feels the exact same way that you have. So that, that's how these things, that's how innovation happens. If somebody might feel the same way as you, you might link with them and y'all might come up with something that totally revolutionizes how people are putting that information out. So you have, I mean, I, I don't think there was anything wrong with mentioning that because that's that's what it is. If you notice online, that's what you're seeing, and that's a that's a real that's a real I wouldn't say issue, but it's a really something that stood out. Well, you dropped so much knowledge, and I'm pretty sure that somebody's gonna be, or many people are gonna be like, okay, how can we get in contact with her? How can we join her services? So, how can the listeners, you know, on your social media, find your social media, your email, you know? Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Um, on Facebook, it's Gingerbread Marketing. So it's J-E-N uh, hyphen G-E-R-B-R-E-A-D Marketing. On Instagram and Twitter, it's it's Gingerbread M-K-T-G. So that's J-E-N-G-E-R-B-R-E-A-D-M-K-T-G. And then by email, uh, well, actually, you can message me on uh, Instagram. And you can reach me on email on there as well. So, yeah, that's pretty much that. Awesome. And do you have any resources that you would recommend um, somebody who's starting something, a blog or a startup company that could help them in this area? I, I actually started a program that is not location independent. Uh, or I'm sorry, not location dependent. Um, and it's an accountability partner program. Uh, program that I'm offering for startup business owners where I'm helping them craft their strategy. Uh, we do check-in calls, a lot of different things. So uh, feel free to message me and I'll send more information about that. Um, locally, if you're a small business owner, a good place to start as well is a small business association in your city. Um, a lot of times they have mentors and people who can at least um, point you in the right direction as far as um, just some of the questions that you may have about starting up. So those are a few resources I have right now. And then I have a blog called smartcookieblogger.com and I blog about different things about uh, being a startup business owner from, um, you know, how, like how to handle lunch meetings and some more serious stuff about strategy. So feel free to go on there. and uh, All the information on there, of course, is complimentary. So that's smartcookieblogger.com. Thank you so much for sharing everything. Thank you for all the resources. Thank you for all the ideas. You really, I mean, you went above and beyond. So I, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me.